0: Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats! And before we get into today's episode, I've got to remind you about all the extra content we've got for our patrons, our members of the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can find out more over at Patreon.com/slash Lions of Liberty. But guys, for as little as five dollars a month, you can help support this your favorite libertarian podcast, the greatest libertarian variety show on earth. Uh, if three shows per week. Three free shows wasn't enough for you. Guess what? There is so much more behind the paywall over on our Patreon. We have Conspiracy Corner. We have Degenerate Gamblers. We have bonus live streams, bonus segments with guests, early episode releases of many of my interviews, and we really, really work hard to make sure we are delivering quality content and really getting you value for your money. So we don't just expect you to throw money at us, although that's nice too. You can do that by donating Directly on our website, lionsofliberty.com, and over at paypal.me lions of liberty. But if you want to be a recurring donor, the best place to do so is at patreon.com lions of liberty. And if all of the bonus content and perks weren't enough, you also get 20% off merchandise at our store. Over at lionsofliberty.store, we have t shirts, we have coffee mugs, we have beanies, we have so much lions of liberty gear, and we have some pretty damn cool designs, I gotta say. Uh, we have our wax on, tax off shirt, we have our tax Taxation is Death Shirt, and so many more designs. You can find them all at lionsofliberty.store. But don't forget to first join up on Patreon, get yourself that discount, find us at patreon.com slash Liberty. We need to empower people with not just the philosophical tools, but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds of the liberty movement. If you want the liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We need to be better people. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clair. Live and live free. All right, Liberty Kitty Cats. With me today is a very, very special guest. He is one of the founders of the greatest libertarian variety show on earth, the current host of the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. He is Mark Clare. Mark, are you ready to roar? Rawr! I am indeed, Mark. Thank you for having me. And uh, don't worry, folks, I'm not really going to continue the whole show like this. I am not going to do the Michael Malice, Mark interviewing Mark uh, thing, but I did, I did want to tease it for a second. I wanted to make you think I would do that. But hopefully, hopefully you have stuck around. Hopefully, you didn't just click away as soon as you realize this might be one of those pretentious, self-congratulatory self-interviews. Uh, it's actually not that far off, though. I'll just I'll just lay it all out there for you, folks. I'm going to give you the real deal. Today, I'm going to let you get a little bit of a peek inside Mark Clare's mind, which also happens to be the name of my Substack. You can subscribe to that over at markclare.substack.com. But the reason I'm doing this episode today with just me, myself, and I here uh, is twofold. One is that I I realize over these years, over 500 podcasts, very little of this podcast, this particular flagship podcast, has really featured me. Uh, It's always me interviewing guests or hosting roundtables. Obviously, my opinion seeps through and leaks through it many times, but rarely, if ever, is a show actually focused on my own opinions and my own life experiences, my own experiences here in the Liberty Movement. So I have, for a while, wanted to do a show like this where I take some questions and just kind of, you know, give you a peek inside what goes on in this here crazy brain of mine, Uh, but also, just to give you the full scope, I just booked some last-minute travel. I'm going to be taking a trip to see my parents, uh, who I have not seen in well over a year since well before COVID. I was actually supposed to see them right before the lockdowns hit last year and uh, to just uh, take an actual break. And when I say an actual break, I mean a break from everything, a break from posting this podcast. Uh, Shout out to our man, Justin Campbell, who will handle all the social media stuff for us so I can just post these episodes and know that they will get out there to you guys. And I don't need to sweat, take any sweat off my back for it because while I have taken vacations over the years, typically my vacations are, are never podcasting vacations. I'm usually taking a microphone with me, I'm usually still pounding away, and uh, this time I realized I'm at a point where I need a real vacation, guys. Like, I am burned out. I've got work stuff, I've got life stuff, I've got multiple podcasts I'm doing, Uh, so my wife and I are just completely disconnecting from that for these few weeks. Uh, So to do that, I needed to get a little bit ahead on episodes, and uh, this is how I'm doing that. This is one of those ways, because uh, it is very difficult with my schedule to often coordinate with guests. So I have a few guests uh, that are in the pipeline. but I'm just going to interview them when I get back from my break in mid-April because uh, this gives me an opportunity again like I said to do an episode like this that I haven't really had the chance to do and uh, I will say like going behind the scenes of this one there's probably going to be like a dozen times not to jinx myself too much where I stop down pause this recording go back do a little edit point because I am not good at this sort of format uh, where I just sit and talk in front of a computer Uh, it feels awkward to me Uh, you guys should see me just recording some of the commercials or promo spots I record on my own uh, sometimes it can take me 15-20 minutes just to record a one minute spot because I'm just that hard on myself, I'm that anal about it if I stumble over a word I feel like I have to stop and do it all again uh, I'm going to try really hard not to do that here I'm going to try to let it flow naturally but it's certainly not my natural format at all I really like having another human there to bounce off of, to ask questions to to react to, uh, just staring at my computer, staring at the little record clock Going up, uh, it it is not in any way natural for me. I have the utmost respect for Brian McWilliams, uh, which is not something you'll hear me say very often. But I have the much m- utmost respect for Brian doing this practically every week, uh, sitting in front front of his computer. And uh, I would love to see the behind the scenes rough cut of all of his outtakes when when he gets into a rage over misspeaking something. Of course, most of that actually makes the show. Uh, but uh, the fact that he can pump that out every week uh, with, without a beat, without missing a beat, is, is really impressive to me. So uh, just Uh, you know, give me a little slack here, all right? If I fumble, if I stumble... Catch me. Catch me when I fall, my friends. That's why you're here. Because uh, really, you guys you guys have caught us when I fall. And uh, this actually is going to tie right into my first question. So what I did here is uh, I, I asked for some questions, first of all, from my fellow Lions of Liberty. Of course, you guys know that we have Brian McWilliams and John Odermatt, good friends of mine for over 20 years back from our college days, who co-founded this podcast with me. Brian is the host of Electric Liberty Land every Wednesday, while John hosts Finding Freedom every Thursday. We also have some regular, semi-regular co-hosts and guests that rotate in and out of the podcast in the form of Howie Snowden, the man who first introduced me to the ideas of liberty way back in the day, as well as uh, our friends Rico, our unofficial official lawyer here at Lions of Liberty, as well as our doctor of science himself, Mr. J.B. Lubin. Now, uh, our patrons, people who subscribe to the Lions of Liberty Pride at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty will know those voices and faces a lot more because they are always uh, appearing on our bonus shows uh, and don't quite as often make it to the main show because there's just only so much time, only so much time in the podcast universe. So that's why if you're a real Lion of Liberty, you got to subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Uh, But what I did is I asked my fellow Lions, all five of them, to give me a question as if they were interviewing me. So this is going to kind of be like the Lions interviewing Mark. And then I also got a few questions from our supporters themselves, our Patreon supporters. I'm not sure if I'm going to get to them in this episode. Kind of depends on how long I go. Uh, But if I don't get to them in this episode, I will record a bonus segment for patrons only answering those questions. So that being said, uh, like I said, what I was saying before a minute ago uh, about the amount of time it takes about how you guys have catch me when i have fallen uh that leads directly into my first question which does come from brian mcwilliams the host of electric liberty land and uh he comes right at me here he asks have you at any point considered quitting the liberty movement or giving up on lol on lions of liberty and uh let's see i guess those are sort of two questions in one as far as the liberty movement goes I'm not even sure what quitting the Liberty Movement would entail. Uh, maybe it would just, just entail never talking about politics again or, you know, not working on liberty-related things, not being involved in the Libertarian Party. Frankly, my involvement with the Libertarian Party is, is mostly due to the podcast itself. Uh, it's really the podcast that led me to be involved with the Libertarian Party, uh, not the other way around. Uh, so uh, I, and I can't see myself quitting the movement. I could see myself uh, – I've never really thought to quit, you know, quit these beliefs or quit – Quit fighting for what I believe in. I mean, this is one of the most important things that we can be doing: is, is fighting for what we believe in, um, waging battle, I guess you could say, in the the realm of ideas. Because if we stop if we stop having our conflicts in the realm of ideas, using our words, there's really only one other way that conflicts can be sorted out: that is through violence. And I don't, I'm not a fan of violence. I'm not a pacifist, but I'm not a fan of violence. So uh, I feel the more we use our words to express our beliefs, the better we will all be off, no matter what those beliefs might be. So um, I, I can't imagine quitting the movement uh, in, in any meaningful way like that. Uh, I could see myself you know, scaling back or thinking that I'm spending too much time and need to focus on other things. That's certainly uh, something that has fluctuated over the years, how much time I can actually invest in being active in certain areas. But I will always consider myself part of the liberty movement, uh, the, the broader liber- liberty movement, uh, no matter what I'm doing in my personal life. Now, as far as quitting Lions of Liberty, Uh, I will be completely honest here. Uh, The answer is yes, I have considered that. Now, uh, the times I have considered quitting Lions of Liberty... Uh, really has has not been the case since I partnered with Brian and John on the podcast itself, just to uh give you a little peek behind the curtain. Now, John, Brian, and our friend Dom, who you hear heard, make a very special appearance uh back on the Lions of Liberty episode 500 special uh, a few weeks ago, actually almost two months ago. My God, I don't understand time. That's a continuing theme of my life. I don't get how time works. Uh, But Dom made a brief appearance on that show. Now, the four of us founded Lions of Liberty, the broader organization. Uh, We founded the website where we all used to blog. Remember the word blog? I never hear that word anymore. But we all used to write. We were basically Ron Paul propagandists at first. And then we got into writing about, you know, bigger libertarian issues. I had a whole series I wrote on the ideas of anarcho-capitalism. We all used to write about kind of current events, filtering them through the ideas of liberty. That was pretty much what we did as Lions of Liberty before the podcast started. Uh, But then when the podcast itself was launched, that was really just me. That was just me wanting to launch a podcast uh, about liberty. Uh, We all agreed I should use the Lions of Liberty name to launch that podcast. Uh, But that's all it was at first. It really was just me uh, interviewing uh, libertarians, leaders in the liberty movement. Uh, But I did have always have the intention of incorporating my friends, my fellow Lions, uh, Brian and Odie, and uh, eventually we've incorporated JB, Rico, Howie into the show as well. That was that was always part of my intent with things. Uh, but after, you know, I would say for the first, I think it was about two years that I was doing this essentially entirely by myself. I would bring other people on. Uh, I had an editor I had hired, the great John Dobert. If you're out there, God bless you. You are a, a man amongst men. Um, but, I, you know, at the end of the day, it was me funding it. It was me booking the interviews, me recording it everything it was entirely me uh just kind of I posted them on the Lions of Liberty website that was basically um the the only way it really tied into everybody else's work uh but over time I started to bring in Brian and Odie for some segments now Odie started writing a column called Felony Friday every single Friday on lionsofliberty.com where he kind of highlighted different felonies in the news uh broke down those issues uh, I think he would have like different you know different Current events that he would just break down and, and look and kind of ask that question Is it a crime? Should they do time? Bum, 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 bum. And uh, so, and Brian was also doing the same thing. He was writing a lot of columns, uh, kind of analyzing Rand Paul. This is the t- around the time that he had uh, come into power as a U.S. Senator and uh, then eventually ran for president uh, back in 2016. So, Brian was doing a lot of writing about that. And uh, so, I would bring him on for segments uh, about Rand Paul called Rand Pluses or Minuses, which is a really fun one to do. So, uh, through that and through some of the roundtables we did, they began. And to get more active in the podcast itself, but um, you know, up until a certain point, it was still just my podcast. Ultimately, it was me funding it, me doing all the work. I would just kind of incorporate them from time to time. Uh, but eventually, after a couple of years, I decided I, I kind of hit a point where I couldn't grow. I couldn't put any more into it than I was putting in, uh, both in terms of my time and financially. So I came to Brian and John with a a business proposal, and I offered them to become business partners, formally of mine, uh, with the podcast podcast specifically uh, and that is what we did and uh, so that they helped me at that point kind of helped me fund things uh, you know we started dividing up the work and eventually they sprung out into their own shows as well of course as you know we have um, you know Odie first started by turning his felony Friday column into a weekly show called felony Friday that has now evolved into finding freedom every single Thursday and uh, of course you all know Brian McWilliams comes in and slaps you upside the head with his weekly weekly. weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty every single Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land. But uh, since that time, uh, I can't say I've ever truly wanted to quit. Uh, of course we are humans. We have our occasional conflicts. Sometimes we don't see things eye to eye, uh, but ultimately we've been friends for, you know, two decades now. And I think we, we know and respect each other well enough that no matter what kind of conflicts arise, we're always able to sort things out ultimately. Um, so and I, and, and I think having them involved and having them as part of the podcast, having them as my business partners has really kept me in check in the sense of like, you no, know, now I can't just bounce out of this. I'm not just letting myself down. Uh, now I'd be letting my business partners down. Uh, so even in times of frustration, like like anything else, we all have times where we just feel overwhelmed. We feel like the, the return isn't exactly uh, matching uh, you know the, the amount of effort and time and money that we put into things. Uh, but having them there has really helped this you know feel more like a team effort. Like, it's not just me here. Uh, but even more than that, the fact that we have thousands and thousands and thousands of, of downloads every week, that keeps me doing it too. Because I know you guys are out there waiting for this content. And I don't want to disappoint you guys either. So I would say I haven't seriously considered quitting Lions of Liberty since we formed that business partnership. Uh, however, before that, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought about quitting many, many times. I mean, podcasting is something that you, you do not get an immediate return from uh, for the most part. It takes work. It takes grinding away. Uh, it takes a lot of disappointments. Uh, it takes a lot of technical errors that you have to work through. And I certainly had times where I was extremely frustrated, times where I lost entire shows or I spent four hours editing a show only to lose the whole thing. Uh, I have had issues galore. And uh, especially in the beginning when you might be, I mean, I'll say like, I think the first episode got maybe 40 downloads. I mean, when you're putting in a ton of work and you're only seeing 40, 50, 60 downloads, that can be frustrating. Although I will say one thing I always tried to do, um, and this is a tip I got. I don't even know where I got it from. I want to think I heard it from someone in Podcaster's Paradise, uh, you know, put put together by the great John Lee Dumas, uh, who I do have scheduled to be on this program in the coming weeks. Uh, but I, I don't know exactly where I heard it. it. Might have been him. Might have been someone else in there. But they basically said, you know, when you're looking at your downloads, why don't you just do this? You got to picture those people. Picture as if you were hosting an event every week, and your podcast was just you speaking in public, and those people, those number of people, physically showed up to listen to you, and And when I started to do that, that helped. That helped a lot because if I see 40 downloads, it looks like, oh, my God, only 40 downloads. I put all this work in and only 40 downloads. My God. But if you go picture those 40, 50 people showing up at your house, you know, like that would be a decent sized party at my house, Uh, showing up at your house every week to listen to what you're saying or to listen to a conversation you're having with someone well, that that's a whole different thing, and that that really taking that kind of attitude towards the podcast really did help me uh, help me along uh, many times in, in you know through that frustration. That being said, if I was still seeing forty downloads after a year, uh, I don't think there's any way I could continue. The market would be speaking to me, uh, but the market you now luckily spoke in a different way. The show has always continued to grow and get bigger and get bigger and get bigger, uh, thanks to the effort we put in, thanks to having John and Odie as my business partners here, because I, I think I would have floundered away or it certainly would have uh, taken a different form if I was still trying to do this by myself every week. Um, so the short of it is, no, I have never really considered quitting the Liberty Movement. I can't really imagine not fighting for my beliefs, not fighting for a better world for people. Uh, have I considered quitting Lions of Liberty, the podcast? Yes, I have. But uh, you, g- ultimately, my business partners and you guys and the fans and the people out there that are downloading the show have kept me going. And, and at this point... I, I, it's a part of my life. I mean, this is a permanent part of my life. i can't I can't even imagine a world where I didn't do this podcast. Uh, even when I do ha- need a break like I really need right now when I'm recording this. Um, the break is with the intention of revitalizing things, revitalizing my mind, giving myself a little restart and coming right back and bringing you these great conversations about liberty that you, seem to strive for because you keep coming back too. So um, that's the short answer. Actually, no, that was a pretty long answer. The, that was a pretty long answer to that question. But uh, yeah, uh, of course, I'm a human. I thought about it a few times, but I'm not going anywhere, folks. So get used to it now. Uh, we then move on to Rico. Now, um, for those of you not in the know, I, I think this question is actually a little bit trying to to prod me about something that we tried to do many years ago. Uh, Rico and I, besides uh, sharing interest in the ideas of liberty, we share a common love for Pro wrestling, of course, that love of pro wrestling is what led me to one of my first big interviews with Kane, the WWE wrestler Kane, also known as Glenn Jacobs, the current mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. I interviewed him way back in 2013 and then I, again as well at the end of last year, um, but I, I really only knew about him and his political messaging because I was a wrestling fan. And uh, Rico and I have gone to WrestleMania as we are going to right now in Raymond James Stadium in person. I guess with masks on, supposedly, but in person, we're going to a real live event. And as someone who's lived in California for the last year, the idea of going to a live event, I I can't even believe it's happening, but we're doing it. Uh, We are big wrestling fans. We have gone to WrestleMania every single year for about eight years here now. Uh, So that ties right into this question. And he starts by saying it is a WrestleMania themed question time. Uh, he starts by saying, whatever happened to that Libertarium themes in pro wrestling podcast? Now, again, a little peek behind the curtain. There was a time where one of the bonus shows I was going to put together was to bring on Rico, look at some wrestling storylines, and uh, kind of tie them into the non-aggression principle. We were actually, he was actually at my house a few years ago. We sat down to do it. This is before I knew quite as much about the technology of podcasting. We had a setup to sort of record it in person, and uh, it was just a technical disaster. Uh, so we ended up scrapping it that day. And just kind of never returned to it. So I guess to answer that question from you, Rico, that's what happened. And uh, maybe we should circle back to it. So if this is your way of prodding me and saying that I really want to do that podcast again, well, let's chat about it. Let's chat about it in Tampa, all right? (laughs) Um, He also asks, who was the biggest violator of the non-aggression principle in pro wrestling? And why is the answer 80s babyface Hulk hogan uh now this is a controversial subject uh for many now hulk hogan uh, and now just to you know so you understand these terms here Babyface in wrestling is is how they what they kind of call the good guys, whereas the bad guys are known as the heels. And, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan was always portrayed as or marketed, I should say, as the good guy, uh, as the guy you want to root for. Now, of course, eventually that would change when he became a bad guy, joined the NWO. That's a whole different thing in the 90s. But we're talking about 80s Hulk Hogan. And while he was portrayed as a good guy, when you actually go back and watch a lot of his storylines, He's kind of the bad guy, um, almost always. I mean, just in terms of the way he acts. Uh, now, I, I think in one storyline in particular uh, that I can think of involves the Macho Man Randy Savage and his wife Miss Elizabeth, and uh, very clearly Hulk Hogan. In their storyline, they were a team at first, and uh, it's pretty clear that Hulk Hogan was was getting pretty sweet, getting pretty sweet on Miss Elizabeth. And while it's not a physical, physical NAP violation. In the the, maybe the technical sense, I would say that openly hitting on another man's wife or coddling another man's wife or carrying another man's wife to the locker room, um, it it feels like while not a technical violation of the non-aggression principle, it certainly feels like a violation of some kind. And uh, that was something Hulk Hogan certainly did did uh during that feud uh so that that's just one example and there there are many many examples where uh this guy comes in here uh you know something that would be normally considered a a heel move like for example uh a rake to the back you know just raking your nails on someone's back that's something bad guys do hulk hogan did that stuff all the time uh just just an underhanded type move uh hulk hogan would cheat from time to time but the crowd would cheer because hey he's the good guy so when the good guy cheats it's okay right well i don't know i don't know if It's actually okay. Uh, Hulk Hogan was also known uh, at times to show up and uh, smack his opponents with a steel chair. Well, that seems like a, a non-aggression principle violation if they, all they were doing was talking trash upon you. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I think I, I would have to agree. I don't know if uh, Hulk Hogan is the biggest violator of the of the non-aggression principle in pro wrestling history, as Rico here indicates, uh, but he was certainly a violator of it, for sure. Uh, so I, I will agree with you there. I will say that, uh, especially when it goes to overlooked violators, I mean, Hulk Hogan's got to be right at the top of the list because he's portrayed as the good guy, but if you actually break down his actions, uh, he, he is uh not so much a good guy, I, I would say now uh, he did throw in another angle another another angle, another question <laughs> where he asks me the top three angles in pro wrestling history. he's really abusing the- this time here uh, with wrestling questions that I don't know if fans of the show are even going to care about, but here we are. We're already talking about it, so let's just keep going. Uh, he wants to know the top three angles in wrestling history. I did not prepare for this, so I'm just going to go off the fly. Um, and Not necessarily in order, but one, of course, has to be um, the angle I was just discussing, where Hulk Hogan and Macho Man, they started off as uh, well, they weren't really friends, and then they became friends through uh, mutual enemies of the Million Dollar Man and uh, Andre the Giant, the Heenan family. They teamed up to battle them, teamed up to battle the Twin Towers, and and eventually they split due to the aforementioned situation with Miss Elizabeth. Uh, but that was a great angle. That was a very realistic feeling angle. And yes, Macho Man got a little angry about it. Maybe went over the top. But eh, if you really look at everything, he kind of he comes across as not so much the bad guy necessarily. He was certainly an angry, jealous husband or, or boyfriend or what have you. Uh, but Hulk Hogan was, uh, I mean, I mean, I don't know if somebody was acting the way uh, that Hulk Hogan was towards Elizabeth to my wife and he was supposed to be my, my friend and my, my business partner, my God, we would have problems. Like I, I would probably be acting just as wild and crazy as the Macho Man was, but that was, that was a, an amazing uh, wrestling angle, historic angle in pro wrestling. So that's definitely one of them. Um, probably maybe the greatest angle of all time uh, is the angle of Stone Cold Steve Austin playing the role of the the blue-collar worker being held back by his corporate boss, a role that so many people identified with that it shot pro wrestling into the stratosphere as a a huge, 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 huge form of entertainment in the United States uh, in the late 90s. Uh, This is also around the time that WWE, WWF, the name change at some point uh, was uh, in in a heated battle with WCW uh, to claim the the reign as uh, the the top wrestling organization. Uh, but that was just the hottest angle at the time. It was really just Steve Austin against the world. Um, prior to that, Steve Austin had one of the greatest WrestleMania angles and matches of all time uh, against Bret Hart. That was kind of like a microcosm of that greater angle. Uh, Bret Hart kind of represented the old guard, the the you know the 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 kind of corporate champion that you that you might want and even before he eventually became the heel in that feud uh, Steve Austin uh, through his attacks against Bret Hart and I will say he probably was the NAP violator in a lot of these but in the 90s uh, is when the, the guys acting like bad guys kind of became the good guys so Steve Austin kind of uh, he, he gained the the adoration of the crowd through his attacks on Bret Hart and everything involving Steve Austin and Bret Hart uh, right through to the angle with uh, Vince McMahon who was the real life owner of WWE trying to hold Steve Austin back that angle carry that company uh, for two years so so, uh, lastly, I will include uh, a culmination, uh, an angle which culminated at an event that Rico and I attended uh, in New Orleans in 2013. This was WrestleMania 30. At that event, uh, Daniel Bryan he had to f- fight not one but two matches in order to win the WWE Championship. I can't believe I actually actually spent this much time um, talking about pro wrestling on a main Lions Liberty podcast, but here we are. So thank you. You can thank Rico for this one. Uh, But in that storyline, that was actually uh, a little merger of real life and pro wrestling, which to me always make the best storylines. That's actually kind of a theme, I think, through all these that I've mentioned here. Uh, But in that, in real life, Daniel Bryan was a very popular wrestler. The fans just loved him. He was an independent wrestler darling for years, eventually uh, got a job with the WWE. Didn't really get very far for a long time, but it was always the fans cheering for him, the fans getting behind him that led uh, WWE to have to push him further. Um, So there was, uh, but uh, now in in 2013, um, everyone wanted to see Daniel Bryan towards the top. He was so hot, uh, it it just seemed like he was destined for WrestleMania for the title match, but then WWE brought back Dave Batista. Of course, many of you know him um, as an actor. Uh, He plays Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy, among many other roles, but prior to that, he was a WWE wrestler. Now, once he became big for his acting, WWE wanted to bring him back for a little bit, bit of a run. Uh, this is actually right just prior to the release of the Guardians of the Galaxy film, so they I think they were trying to capitalize on that. And instead of Daniel Bryan running the winning the Royal Rumble, which guarantees you a championship match at WrestleMania, it was Dave Batista that won the Royal Rumble. And not only that, to slap the fans in the face even harder. Uh, Daniel Bryan was not even in the Royal Rumble. I think they kept him out of it, probably because they knew the fans would just be rooting for him the whole time. Uh, so that became a big controversy. So big that fan support actually pushed WWE to eventually. Decide to add Daniel Bryan to that title match. Uh, that is both in real life and in the storyline. In the storyline, it was actually a, a group of fans who just came and like raided the ring and wouldn't leave the ring until they gave Daniel Bryan a way to get into the WrestleMania main event. So, this in the storyline, he had to defeat Triple H, who is the uh, in real life he's not the COO or is he? I'm not really sure his real life role. I think he's the COO or VP of something in real life, but uh, he was being called the COO in storyline at this time. Uh, so Daniel. Bryan Ryan first had to defeat Triple H in the first match of the night, which he did in one of the best matches I've ever seen live. Uh, and then he had to defeat both Dave Batista and Randy Orton in the main event uh, to win the championship, which he did. And this was just an amazing angle to see play out in real time and to see live at WrestleMania in New Orleans uh, with Rico, one of the, the greatest uh, nights and events of my life. So uh, I've got to say those are my top three off the cuff. And I think That's going to be enough wrestling talk for right now. Now, if you guys are looking for a podcast where they don't take 10 minutes of a show out to talk about pro wrestling, then you might want to give a listen to our good friends Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty. And if you are impressed by the output here at Lions of Liberty, where we provide you three unique shows each and every week, you're going to be blown away by the content that Nate and Charlie are putting out over at Good Morning Liberty. These guys do it five, five, five days per week. My God, do they even record the show live for their patrons? Uh, These guys are awesome libertarians. They both have worked in the healthcare industry, so they definitely have a unique perspective on a lot of the problems that go through that segment of the industry. And they really do a great job of breaking down current events, breaking down those headlines through the Liberty perspective. And again, they do it five days a week, absolutely mind-blowing. They do phenomenal work. They are great supporters and fans and patrons of this program, and they deserve your support as well. So if you haven't been listening, please do go check out Good Morning Liberty. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can check out their website, bernielies.com. What a freaking awesome URL. Back to the show. All right, next up, I've got a question from the aforementioned Howie Snowden. And Howie asks, What are your favorite movies with libertarian themes? Now, I don't know. I've noticed something watching movies. um, Really, if you have a perspective going into a film, you can probably find libertarian themes in just about, Any movie. I mean, we just reviewed Logan's Run a couple weeks ago uh, at the behest of our great Nittany-level patron, Anthony Meyer, and I think you can definitely find libertarian themes in there, in a lot of those 70s sci-fi movies, including in Zardoz, a movie we reviewed last year, Um, but I think they're not that really, they're not straightforward, they're there if you're looking for them, Uh, they're there if you want to find them, if you're not, you might not be finding them, Uh, so when I'm looking for a movie with libertarian themes, I'm going to really look for a movie that's really explicitly being libertarian and uh, one that just comes up to mind over and over whenever I'm trying to you know, come up with an answer to this sort of question. I have to think of Dallas Buyers Club uh, because this is an overtly libertarian movie. This is not a movie that just has some libertarian themes that you can read into. No, this is an overtly libertarian movie based on real-life events that actually happened where people were getting AIDS and dying and unable to get medicine that would help them or prolong their life or make their lives better because they were banned by the FDA. Uh, And in this film, of course, if you haven't seen this film, Matthew McConaughey's character, he, he basically starts this thing called the Dallas Buyers Club where they smuggle these drugs in from Mexico, drugs that were totally legal in Mexico because they don't have an FDA, and they don't just ban everything that for 10 years and let make you spend billions of dollars to test them before they allow it uh, to be used on the general public. Uh, but, you know, they're, um, in that film, uh, they really show the cost, the cost of government intervention. They show you the lives lost and they show you how these, this black market agorist action saved lives. And that movie has actually Open people's minds to this idea in ways that, that I never really imagined. Now, I, I don't know if we can directly draw a line from Dallas Buyers Club to the right to try bill that President Trump signed, but that bill allows people with terminal illnesses to try drugs that are, are not FDA approved. Now, that's not a perfect solution, but it's certainly much better than the situation before that bill. And I have to think that it at least has played a role uh, in shaping people's ideas, at least about the FDA, at least when it comes to government regulation of medicine, particularly when someone has a terminal illness or an illness that is simply crushing them, to not allow them at least the choice to take a chance that a drug might improve their life or extend their life when they are otherwise facing imminent death uh, is just unacceptable. And I think Highlighting that story really can is can be more effective than than maybe yes maybe I can find libertarian themes in say a Batman movie and I could probably break down the libertarian aspects of it but in reality we're kind of reading into that where we want to we're picking and choosing where we want to like I I doubt uh, you know in many cases where we see the themes that the actual producers or writers of the movie are actually trying to put those themes forward necessarily they're just kind of trying to tell a good story and I think in a good story in a good hero's journey you're gonna find libertarian themes anywhere so um there's probably a long long list of libertarian of movies that contain libertarian themes or movies you can find libertarian themes in but if i'm gonna pick an actual libertarian movie that has actually had a real world impact it's hard to look further than the dallas buyers club now um, i'm gave just like rico gave a second question here and i'm going to allow it because we've been friends for a long time and uh you know I asked for questions and I got them. So who am I? Who am I to pick and choose here? But Howie has another question. He says, "Do you think there's any chance of fixing the system, or do we have to wait till it all falls apart?" I guess it depends on what you mean by fixing the system. Do you think we can? Do I think we can tweak the? the federal U.S. government so that it works in a libertarian manner. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no. And and, and this is something I've discussed uh, on various podcasts I have appeared on, uh, but I'm pretty blackpilled, I'd say, when it comes to like national politics or the state of the world or the way things are going. Uh, Maybe that's a part of living in California and having people yell at me and stare at me for not wearing a mask while I walk my dog alone. But it's hard to have a lot of faith in the overall uh, direction that society is going, the overall direction that the The federal government is going. I mean, we're going to be 35 trillion in debt by the end of this year. They say 50 trillion by the end of the decade. That seems like a joke to me. I I feel like we'll be at 50 trillion by next year. Uh, So this is it's going in an unsustainable direction. And it it really seems like there is no no stopping this thing. So I think the answer to that question has to be wait till it falls apart. Um, I, I, I don't I'm not a collapsitarian. I'm not hoping for a fall apart. Um, I just don't see any sustainable way, uh, especially looking at the fiscal circumstance out of the U.S. government. I mean, I don't picture any politicians having the will or the desire to cut things and risk their own political careers to restore fiscal sanity. And I'm not even sure it's possible because if you tax all of the wealth that is created in the United States, you still could not pay off the debt and the unfunded obligations that are coming. So there really is no actual way out of this short of bankruptcy. And bankruptcy is a a form of collapse in a sense. And uh, U.S. government bankruptcy would certainly affect our lives in a very negative way. But um, we're already there. You know, it's really just a matter of admitting the bankruptcy or not. And um, you know, so I, I'm black pill when it comes to like national politics and the federal government. I, I'm I'm more white pill when it comes to um what we can make out of all this. You know, the, the communities we can build, uh, the the connections we can make in our own lives, whether they're online communities or physical communities, whether it's moving to geographic areas that are uh, of more like minded people, as many people are doing, moving to places like Texas or Florida or what have you, or or actually expatriating and finding just little enclaves around the world, or even sort of within the U.S. but not uh, as in the case of, let's say, a Vin Armani, who uh, moved to Saipan, or Peter Schiff, who took off to uh, Puerto Rico, where you can enjoy still some of the benefits of living in the United States while not being burdened with those onerous, onerous taxes. So I think there's many ways that we can find communities, build communities. But as far as uh, the system itself or the federal government itself, no, no, no. No, there's no way. There's no way to fix it. So uh, that being said, that's why I don't spend too much time worrying about day-to-day politics, especially at the national level. Because at the end of the day, while I think our best hope is we can interest some more people through through getting some voices out there uh, in relation to current events, I don't think we can really uh, change the tide uh, in in any significant way. So uh, maybe that's a depressing thought, but I actually think it's a freeing thought. You know, it can it can um, you know help us refocus a little bit. and Maybe we shouldn't be spending so much focus on national politics and on who the next big candidate should be, which is funny because I'm about to talk about, about some, someone else on, on this line in a little bit here. But um, yeah, I, I think really our focus should be on ourselves and on on improving ourselves. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing that's happened with me in the last year. I, I've improved myself, my own lot in life, my own physical health, my mental well-being is just so much improved in the last year, which I know is not the case for many people who are in COVID hysteria. But if you didn't spend the last year being afraid to go outside, uh then hopefully you're like me and spent that time kind of working on yourself and improving things in your own life because i think that's that is at the end of the day uh our best hope so moving along let's see let's see let's see yes John Oderbat, host of Finding Freedom, he has a question, and his question is, outside of Ron Paul and the Lions of Liberty, glad he said that because those would be obvious answers, who is the most important and impactful voice in the liberty movement right now? Um, I'm going to say it's tied, and I'm going to say it's tied between two gentlemen who often do podcasts together, uh, but those two gentlemen are Dave Smith and Michael Malice. Now, Michael Malice might deny he's a part of the Liberty Movement. Um, I know he doesn't like to associate, uh, you know, with the Libertarian Party or even the word "libertarian" or what have you. And uh, that's all all well and good. But as someone with a prominent platform, as someone who has no problem getting on Joe Rogan and uh, openly discussing things like, you know, saying that he's an anarchist, talking about private policing services, uh, just getting those ideas out there from someone who's really not a threatening, like, scary type libertarian. I mean, it's hard. It would be hard to watch a Michael Malice. And- interview and conjure the normal image of anarchy you might have. So I think when someone like that gets a huge platform, he has his own platform that is huge, but he's able to get on shows like Joe Rogan, able to get on shows like Tim Pool and uh, just kind of display his personality, his very non-intimidating personality, uh, kind of work in the ideas of anarchism or how he sees anarchism. Uh, Just getting that word out there, making that word less threatening, I think has just tremendous value. And especially, like I said, he's able to discuss things like private police um, and and this sort of thing in a way that I really, I don't think would scare off a normie. Um, now the comedy and the jokes might scare off normies more than his political positions. But I think when he's already in there with that audience, uh, when he's on a Tim Pool show or on a Joe Rogan show that that's used to that kind of, uh, that kind of joking around language that, that Michael Malice uses then I think he's a great door. Uh, he's kind of has a great foot in the door to open people's minds to those ideas and on that same note, I, I will say Dave Smith, because A, he has a huge podcast of his own. Uh, I think he reaches something like a quarter million people every week, not on Part of the Problem, uh, which does great, but on, on Legion of the Skanks, which has a, a much huger audience than Part of the Problem. And the fact that he is on that show and known not as that libertarian, he's known as this funny guy, this hilarious guy, Dave Smith. Um, now, because he is already known as something else, uh, he is able to kind of get people into the ideas, people that might funnel over from Legion of Skanks, or from an appearance he might make on Joe Rogan, or on national news. I mean, this is someone who's also able to get, uh, he was uh, appeared on CNN a lot back in the day, Uh, he's been on Kennedy many times, I mean, he's on national news outlets, and every time he is, he freaking nails it. I mean, he he only usually gets when he's on one of these national uh, news channels, you know, maybe a minute or two of time, and every time he gets in uh, libertarian talking points in like the most direct, concise, hard-hitting ways possible. Possible, um, So the fact that someone like that is able to get out there and overtly put out the libertarian ideas, um, he's able to go on Joe Rogan and talk about libertarian ideas for, for you know, 90 minutes. Uh, I, I think that has just tremendous value and help normalizing the, the concept, uh, normalizing the concepts of individual rights, uh, normalizing the word libertarian, uh, making it less scary. Uh, I know Dave has a lot of controversy around him because of some of the jokes he's made over the years or because he had Nick Fuentes on a show and didn't. And scream at him like a lunatic. Uh, frankly, I think those those criticisms are damn silly. And uh, if you actually listen, if you actually have a sense of humor, yeah, I'm not saying everyone has to like Dave's sense of humor. But if you have to, ha- if you have a sense of humor, you would at least recognize a lot of the things he says that he gets criticized for as humor. It's, it's the same as a lot of the criticisms of, of Trump that are outside his politics. Uh, Trump will say these outlandish things, uh, and a lot of it is like the type of humor. Uh, with Trump's humor, I call it like New York humor. People not from New York and not from that area, as I was kind of raised in that area. I have family and friends in that area. There's a certain humor that, that goes along with it. And people that don't operate in those circles or don't have that sense of humor often might hear these things out of context and, and be appalled and offended. Um, but that's humor. Humor is supposed to appall you. It's supposed to offend you. It's supposed to pull you out of your comfort zone. And I think Dave is great at that brand of comedy, uh, forgetting even the libertarian stuff, just his comedy alone, I think is, is truly, um, some of the best comedy out there. I mean, he had he had a hit special with Libertas, uh, so I think someone like that is able to get out there in the mainstream and not not sort of he's not shy about his libertarian views. He puts it out he puts it right out there. Uh, so so Dave Smith, Michael Malice, the fact that they are able to get the coverage that they get, they're able to be taken seriously by mainstream media and by alternative media that is much larger than ours, like Joe Rogan, like Tim Pool. Uh, they've both been on Tim Pool's show. They've both been on J- J- uh, Joe Rogan's show in the last year, and I think in in their own in their own ways. They have very different styles uh, and very different approaches, but they both are helping to put these ideas in the minds of more and more people out there. And that is just incredibly valuable. So I I would put those two tied as the most important and impactful voices in the liberty movement right now. Uh, I do have one more question from a Lion of Liberty. This question will become from our own doctor of science, J.B. Lubin. And J.B. asks this. Do you think that libertarianism is truly natural? Do we have to unlearn the indoctrination of the state or is it the other way around? So I think what JB is kind of asking here is, is like, you know, are we born libertarians? Are we born uh, sort of with freedom and then the state kind of indoctrinates us on the way or are we kind of born sort of status and we have to kind of unlearn that? Uh, I think that's kind of what JB asking here. And this kind of goes back to something I asked Dr. Paul about, uh, when I interviewed him, uh, I've interviewed him a couple times, but, you know, I remember one time I interviewed him, he said that, you know, he really does feel that we are, we are born free. We're born as, as you know, free, free individuals who strive to be free. Uh, but it's really hammered out of us. It's hammered out of us through a lot of, through our childhood, through, uh, state sponsored education, uh, through pr- propaganda, all of which comes through uh, statism in in some way, shape, or form, and that is the great question. Now, it's it's a complicated one because anthropologically speaking, and um, you know, rationally speaking, humans working in groups is natural. Uh, having hierarchies is natural, and often a state can emerge. From these natural hierarchies, uh, from these uh, these natural formations of groups, uh, for the purposes of whatever they meet, may, maybe whether it's protecting property or law and order or what have you, and um, I would certainly say that uh, there there's nothing wrong with that concept. There's nothing wrong. In fact, there's there's something wrong with not doing that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say there's something wrong. I guess I wouldn't say there's something wrong with an individual choosing to be a rugged individualist and going out into the woods. Uh, but that's really not what libertarianism is about. Libertarianism is really just about the non-aggression principle and uh, whether it's being respected and whether you're doing that um, along the way. Now, you could have a rugged individualist who just lives out in the woods, uh, but every once in a while he comes out of the woods and kills someone and violates the NAP, uh, so I wouldn't call that person a libertarian. Meanwhile, you could have a whole group of people who organize. Uh, maybe it's 50 neighbors who just you know sign an agreement to work together with security and have a common fees that they, they pay into a certain system to cover fire or damage or theft or to have insurance or whatever it may may be and uh, they might even call that a government but as long as they're not violating anyone's rights I don't have a problem with it as long as they're not violating the non-aggression principle as, as long as they're not harming people along the way stealing people's property and this sort of thing um, I would have no problem with that so in a way like forming groups and forming hierarchies is natural and, and is libertarian but it's um, it's that violation it's it's when we turn that into a violation of individual rights and uh, I'd say that it is very unnatural um, it's, it's It's maybe natural in the sense that humans have done it over thousands of years. Humans have been violating rights, but that doesn't make it natural. I mean, I think there's a reason that let's say the Ten Commandments came about. It's it's not because someone just thought, oh, we shouldn't do all of these things. Let's put it in a book uh, and and make a story around it. It's because these are natural laws that sort of arise from humanity interacting. I mean, human societies cannot function if we're constantly robbing and stealing and murdering each other. Um, Now, you could say we are kind of doing that now through the state and we are and uh, as i mentioned earlier society is not going all that well (laughs) we're we're unsustainably racing towards unsustainable debt and a government that will in one way or another collapse at some point so i wouldn't call our system sustainable um but at the community level when you're just participating in in you know voluntary formation of these hierarchies uh i I think that is natural so i'm not sure if i'm really answering the question here because i don't think it's that i think it's a difficult one to to kind of parse out But to go back to JB's question, I mean, yeah, ultimately, we are all indoctrinated by the state one way or the other, Uh, whether it's through being raised by our parents who were probably also indoctrinated by the state or going through public schools, uh, corporate media. These are all forms of state indoctrination in one in one way or another. So that is why we have such an uphill battle kind of uh, trying to. Uh, trying to unlearn that stuff, trying to teach people that there is another way. There is another perspective, another way to look at things. Um, but I guess it's sort of a chicken and egg situation when we try to figure out where it all comes from. You know, do we become status because that's in our blood? That's in our genetics. That's what we have to unlearn. Or are we really born free and just society has shaped what might have otherwise been more naturally forming hierarchies? Have they just gotten out of control to the point that, well, obviously nothing feels natural now. Uh, all governments essentially violate rights by by their very existence um, so I don't know I don't know where it really falls on the, the chicken and egg scale um, but either way there's a lot of indoctrination to, to work out of and um, I, I think it just does come down to the argument you always hear that oh you're against uh, groups you're, you just want to go live in the woods and no because it's it's it is very natural for humans to form organizations to form governments to have cooperation I say governments not in the, the non aggression principle violating way but just um, in in the sense of you know people voluntarily form Forming governments—that's just that's something that has happened historically as well. So if if you're triggered by the word government, I'm, I'm very sorry for you, uh, because you should really be thinking about things in a much deeper way. And I, I like to think that um, fans of this show are able to do that. But uh, I certainly understand why using government. And this is a conversation I've had with like Adam Kokash before on the show and another guest. Um, it's really just comes down to to phraseology here. But uh, of course, when you say the word government now, yeah, we pretty much are talking about um, you know rights violating institutions. But we're talking about government in the, in the historical sense or in the just in the definition of the word it really just means a group who sets the rules for uh, a given area and then that could be done uh, in a natural way uh you know, in a in a, a natural hierarchy that comes together that isn't violating people's rights. Um, that of course is is not what we really see government as nowadays. Understandably so. Um, this has just been really a rant more than a direct answer to that question because I think it is it is sort of a, a circular question that it, it's hard to really find a beginning or end point. But because uh, like even if we even if we just eliminated the government right now and then uh, we started things from scratch with just a bunch of new humans, we just released uh, you know humans. In into the wild and let them go be humans they probably form governments eventually <laughs> you know they probably uh, would start doing the same thing so in that sense maybe it is natural but um i don't think it's natural i mean they're called natural rights for a reason because they they come from nature they come from the the very essence of our existence so i would have to say to violate those rights on a mass scale is very much unnatural um, that's about the closest I'm I'm gonna get to an answer for you, JB. I, th- I think that's that's all we're gonna get out of me on this one. But uh, that being said, guys, I do have some questions from the Lions of Liberty Pride, but uh, I think I'm gonna keep those for the Pride. That's just a teaser for you. I've uh I've I've gotta get going. <laughs> I gotta get packing. I got things to do. But I'm do I am glad that this uh, this kind of last minute travel did push me into doing this episode. I did enjoy answering these questions, and I am gonna enjoy answering a few more for the Pride. Uh, I hope. you enjoyed this one. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. Of course, If you don't get enough of my voice right now, there's another place you can hear it. You can hear more of my voice over at the Second Print Comics Podcast, where myself and Remzo Martinez of the We Are Libertarians Network, we combine to talk about the characters, comic book events, storylines that shaped our comic book fanhood over the years. We do that each and every Wednesday on the Second Print Comics Podcast. Uh, Find us everywhere podcasts are found. If you enjoy my rants and ravings, even if you're not a big comic book fan, I think you're going to enjoy this show. And of course, uh, in that same vein, don't forget to check out Brian, Odie, and Rico every single Thursday on Bravo and Beer. You can find more of them over at bravoandbeer.com, wherever podcasts are found. You know the drill, kids. Uh, but until next time, I, I've I've had it. I'm taking my break. Actually, no. I'm going to record a little bonus show for the Pride answering a few of their questions and then I'm taking a break, a much-needed break. Uh, but I welcome your feedback. Of course, you can leave feedback over in the Lions of Liberty Forum. That is our our group for just about everybody. We do have some questions just to make sure you're real human to get in there. Uh, and of course, uh, if you want to interact with us more, you can always drop me an email. It's m a r c at lionsofliberty.com. You can find us on twitter at lions of liberty you can find me at mark d claire uh you know you guys know how the internet works you know how to reach out but gang i think i've had it i'm gonna go take a break i'm gonna go take a freaking vacation and i'm excited for it so until next time my friends live, and live free